Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. Are you ready for the totality of darkness? I was not ready for it. I just have to be honest with you. He, you know, I want you to remember something when that happens tomorrow at around 2 or something like that. Um, when that happens, remember Matthew 27. Because Matthew 27 was like three hours. It was darkness while Christ hung on the cross. And during that period, anytime you read in the scripture uh, of darkness and light, it's a picture of the darkness of the world, things that are going on in it, and how... The prince of darkness has tried to taint everything good that God has done. And that darkness looks like it's overwhelming everything in the light. And for a few moments, there is darkness. And even during that period of time, Christ cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Right? Looks like there's nothing, no light no, is going to come again. And then all of a sudden, it emerges brighter than ever. So as you watch it with your glasses, or if you're old school, pinhole box, uh, you know, as you watch this and it fades, you think that of the darkness in this world that surely tries to overwhelm the light, it won't. It can't. And in the long run, in the long way out there, but also in the immediate, as that slides away, as the moon slides away, the light breaks through and it comes brighter and brighter and brighter until the new day, the scripture tells us and prophesies it. So remember that tomorrow and smile and think there is a light in this world. The light is Jesus Christ. And now it's in his people in the church. The church is to be the light of the world, his people. And that's uh, the series that we've been in called The Need to Lead. Um, I feel, obviously, there is no greater to me time in at least my lifetime that there has been a greater need to lead. And that is especially when it comes in the church or when it comes in your business, when it comes in your community, when it comes in your country, your state, or wherever. Uh, there is uh, very much a need for the light to break through the darkness. So the first week, we took a look at those of us who are older, we don't say old, right? Older, older, and how God, uh, through the scriptures, has used older people many times to announce, well, announce Christ's coming, to minister through them. And even our main scripture for some of this, First Timothy, uh, is an older pastor in his 60s, writing a letter to a younger pastor in his 30s, and uh, trying to get him to handle a very difficult situation and helping him along. And so, uh, we saw that the first week, and I would encourage you, go back, get online, go watch it, take notes, uh, write me, I'll send you my notes, my sermon notes, or I think, some, I think it's posted, a lot of it is, and, and uh, also last week we took a look at can women lead uh, in the church, and especially, and uh, elsewhere, and I know I threw a lot of information out at you guys last week, but you know, it's such an important subject, I felt like I needed to give you a lot. And so uh, that's on there as well. And then today, as you saw our precious children, grandchildren up here this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, can the young lead? Is it possible that uh, a young person 
And when I say young, we can use the biblical. Some of you are really going to like this. And that is that, you know, I I had the 50 and older stand two weeks ago, right? Well, kind of in the biblical, in the New Testament time, if you were 50 or younger, you were young. So, so, and, uh, and so, but, you know, if you had gotten into your 60s, like some of us, uh, you know, you were an older person. And so uh, this in- includes not just children, but this includes young people when we talk about this today. Anyone who is beginning in their life and hoping to maybe start their business, to be a leader in their community, uh, in their church, and uh, what can God do through you? Does does God honestly use younger people? Does he use children? Does he use young adults? And uh, those of us who are parents, um, you know, don't tune out on this. Tune in big time as you pray. You know, for your kids, those of you who are younger, you want to listen to this. Uh, I'm going to pray up front this morning because I do want to pray for Spain. I want to pray uh, for Finland. Uh, we want to pray for our own country and the situation uh, that... Uh, because, again, remember tomorrow, around 2 or whenever, 2.43 or whenever it is, uh, that darkness, the darkness threatens the light, but the light emerges. The light emerges with hope and joy and happiness. And so we want to pray this morning and ask the Lord's blessing to come and, and help me. So let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for this time together, and thank you for this church. Thank you for the churches that are represented here, those who are our guests this morning. And Holy Spirit, uh, we welcome you. We know that you are the bringer of light to our lives. And so we submit to you this morning. You wrote this through the people that you did anoint and give wisdom to, to give us direction, to give us insight in how to live. And, and so, Lord, I pray this morning you, Holy Spirit, would come and guide and direct. Give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes. And, um, Father, give us ears to hear. And come do what only you can do this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, younger, uh, I got a little roar when I, I know I'm stepping into the no zone. They tell me to stay out of this zone, but I can't help but want to get closer sometimes to you guys. And so I just kind of move that way But um, when I get up there. But in the Bible, there are indeed many examples of younger people being used by God. Uh, one that you might recall is First Samuel. By the way, if you flip your handout over, there is an outline or a fill-in on the back with the scripture back there. First Samuel 27 through 28, uh, there is the story of Samuel. Samuel, a young boy, and you know that his mom, uh, Hannah, had prayed and prayed to have a child. And uh, finally she did. And when she, it says in First Samuel 27 28, I prayed for this child and the Lord granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And it says, goes on, that the boy Samuel, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. As a little boy, as a young child, he ministered before God under the premises of an older uh, priest there in the temple. And, you know, it's quite a contrast here, too, because Eli, the priest, had a couple of sons, too. Hophni and Phinehas, who were not what you call glowing examples of uh, PKs, <laughs> you know, they were not. And it is very interesting to me that God puts in his word this picture of a young child, and that is Samuel, as compared to these older, uh, we could say, grown 
children of Eli's and how wicked they were and how they, how they behaved in the church of that day and how young Samuel ministered before the Lord and stayed before him. And so, and then another, of course, example is David. David was chosen by God early on in his life. In 1 Samuel 16 and 11, uh, as you know, that uh, the prophet came and is looking, is told to anoint uh, one of the children, and they line up all these good-looking sons all the way across. And, and uh, you know, the, the prophet looks, he, Samuel looks, and he tries to, and none of them. You know, God says to the prophet, he says, none of these are it. None of them. And, and so he asked Jesse, he says, you got any more? <laughs> and uh, he says, well, I got one. He's a little punk kid, you know, and he's out, he's out shepherding the sheep. He's doing what he should be doing, you know. But, you know, he's inconsequential. He's the youngest. He's out. He says, go get him. And so they get him and they bring David in. And the minute they bring David in, God speaks to the prophet and he says, that's him. It kind of goes like this. I choose him. I choose him. Right in that moment. If you want to remember these two examples, for those of us who are older, you grandmas and granddads, just remember Sam and Dave. All right? You got Samuel and you got David. Okay? So you got Sam and Dave right there in 1 Samuel. And as examples of young, some of you go, Sam and Dave, what is that? A hamburger joint? Wasn't that Dave and Buster's? You know, it's, it's a, it was a great singing duet, saying, but hold on, I'm coming. Remember that? And uh, all of that. So I'm at the beach uh, club down here, you know, in the 60s, right on the front row, you know, watching it. And so, uh, hey, just remember that. Also, we have Jesus. Remember Jesus' parents, uh, they, got, they, they, went to, they went to the city and they're leaving the city and a couple of days in, because then families joined together and they moved as large units. They just thought, well, our young son, Jesus, is probably playing with some of the other kids. They get down the road a ways and they can't find him. Like, where's Jesus? And so they can't find him with the entourage or the whole group moving. So they go back and they find him in the temple talking to the rabbis, right? 12 years old. And he looks at him and like, what's the big deal? When you know that really irritates you as a parent. <laughs> you know, like, why are you so upset? And Jesus says, he says, wouldn't you know that I'm about my father's business? Wouldn't you know that this is on my heart? And so over again and again, we have examples. In, in uh, Acts 21, as the whole book of Acts, just the activities of the Holy Spirit in the early church, we come across this verse that Philip had four daughters, unmarried daughters or virgin daughters, who prophesied. Can you imagine living in a house with your four daughters prophesy for God? They're the mouth, mouthpiece of God in your home. Now, dads, you're like, wow. <laughs> you know, you couldn't get by with anything because your daughter would be, oh, dad, hold on. You know, the Lord says. <laughs> so over and over again in Scripture, we have so many examples of God using children, young children, and uh, right on up into Timothy's age and beyond. And children are used as an example in Scripture of the kingdom and of humility. Uh, some of you have, well, they've used this Scripture in all kinds of ways, politically and socially. In Isaiah eleven six, 6, it says that the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Now, 
That's talking of the kingdom to come. That's when Jesus comes back uh, to earth and he restores his kingdom in fullness. And in the fullness of the kingdom where peace rules and reigns, even the animals are reconciled to one another. And it's such a reconciliation and such an environment that a little child will lead the animals who used to hunt one another down. And now a little child is in the midst leading them in that peaceful moment. God uses children throughout. Matthew 18, 1 through 14, the disciples asked Jesus, imagine this, you know, who's the greatest? Is it me? Yeah, I'm the greatest, right? Jesus, is it me? Is it me? And Jesus responds, but truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes, welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. A while ago when these children were up here, you know, that's what I was thinking. We welcome them. When we welcome them, when we minister to them, when we give ourselves and find kids in city to seven, when we give ourselves and we welcome them, Scripture says we are actually welcoming Jesus. The presence of God. So it's just not like, oh, the kids, you know, it's no, Jesus is here. In the heart of the children here. And we see a picture of the innocence of the kingdom and the humility of the kingdom of those of us who want to be a part of the kingdom in it, in these children. And so it's, it's just not like some appendage we add on to church at all. You know, children are very valuable to God and should be extreme valuable to the church, to his church. And when we see them, when we speak to them, when we look in their eyes and the way we welcome them and support them and protect them is a picture of the kingdom of God in our midst. So children, the young, are very important. Mark 10, well, let me just say this too. Jesus had some rather stark words to the disciples in this passage of Matthew 18. He said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you do not despise one. You don't let one of them become inconsequential. Each one of them are very important to me. And see that you take note of that. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. Because each one of us, no matter where we are, are important to God. And the way we treat the littlest and the smallest and the weakest among us is a picture of the kingdom of God. So there's power in this and there's presence in this of God's love. In the children and the younger. Mark 10, 13 through 16, it says people were bringing little children uh, to Jesus. And uh, he was, they were sitting on his lap and, and uh, he was blessing them, he was wanting to. And then the disciples rebuked them. Say, keep, you know, it's almost like, you know, stars, divas that have their entourages around them. Then you have all these people that say, don't touch them, you know. Don't, I mean, I've even heard things like, in, in the church world, don't touch that person. You may drain their anointing. What the heck? I mean, seriously, people, we've come to that. When Jesus says, let the little children come to me. You know, come on. Let them come to me. And so they were, you know, the disciples were saying, don't waste Jesus' time. Don't, uh, don't do that. And Jesus responds with, you know, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, 
placed his hands on them and blessed them. The church is called to do no less than to welcome them, take them in our arms, and to bless them. Such is the kingdom. When we bless and we welcome them, we welcome the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God. And so when we look at our children, when we look at our grandchildren, when we look at our friends' children in the church, we see the kingdom. So we cherish and we say, come, come. All the children of the community, come. We will bless you. We'll do everything we can to be there for you. So as we move on into 1 Timothy here, you, here you have a fill-in. And uh, we're going to read 1 Timothy 4.12. And uh, just to get you caught up from last week is that in Ephesus, which is where Timothy is, there is a, a huge problem with a heresy that is floating through the church. We talked about it last week. I'm not going to go all over it again. You can go back and listen or read it. And, uh, but there's a heresy running through the church. Jesus, uh, Paul is trying to deal with it, and he has called the young pastor, the young leader, Timothy, to go and you know, take, take control of it. And so the words that we read to him to encourage him, this young man, as he starts out in his life, are, are words to, from an older uh, person who has been around for a while and walked with God to a younger who is just beginning their, their walk with God and in their leadership abilities. Now, I want to say this too. Though this is talking about a situation in church, these principles transcend into business, education, into your home, into the community. Because uh, the kingdom of God is all of it. It's just not church, you know. It's, it's where God rules and reigns through every part of our lives. And so wherever you are, dear friend, young friend, young leader, wherever you are, these principles you take and you pray and you go, God, build this into me wherever I am. Whatever God has called you to do. And, uh, and so these are transferable. First Timothy 4.12 says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But here's how you don't let someone look down on you. But set an example. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. So your first fill-in is this. Set an example. If you want to shut people up about your youth and about the ability of you to lead, then lead by example. Set an example. Paul tells Timothy, do it. Walk it out. Live it out. And how do you do it? His first one is by the way you talk in speech. Can I just bring it into the now? Watch what you post. <laughs> Watch what you post, you know, young leader. And uh, nothing goes away these days. Nothing goes away. And whatever you post and how you express yourself... If you're a leader and you want to be a leader and a good leader, I'm not saying that you shouldn't speak out. Philip's four daughters as prophets, I'm sure, probably said what was on their mind, what God had put on their mind. But how the words you use and how you say it is very important. 
And so uh, through speech, watch what you say. In Ephesus, there was a heresy, and they had twisted some of the words around. And then, as we found out last week, it was causing severe problems in this church in Ephesus. And to counteract that, Paul tells the young leader, Timothy, he says, watch how you talk. Because these other people are twisting the words. They're twisting the theology. They're twisting the way they look at life around. So you, Timothy, set an example. Don't let them look down on you. Use the proper words. Set the example. And no one's going to look down on you because of that. It's the way you become uh, very astute in how you express yourself. Watch your words. Don't get involved in there was gossip going on in the church. And as you read through First Timothy, you see, because he starts talking about problems that are emerging, and one of them with gossiping and backbiting and this heresy and all, and criticism and all of this was going on. And, and Paul tells Timothy, don't you get involved in that, Tim, Timothy. Don't do it. Don't do that. <laughs> Secondly, he says, in conduct, you know, watch how you act and react. Have you ever had yourself suddenly react? <laughs> have you ever said something? I mean, now look, we all have done this. And if Timothy probably had not done this or there wasn't a tendency to do this, Paul would not be saying, don't do this. You get this? You got to look at the other side of this. It's not that everybody's perfect. It's that it's like we know this is a struggle. But if you don't want them to look down on your youthfulness and you want them to respect you and move into this place of leadership, then watch how you talk, the words you use, and watch how you act. Watch your conduct, how you react. And if you know Paul well enough reading, you know he would not mince words when he needed to. You snake. (laughs) I mean, if he needed to point something out, he did it at the right time in the right way, and he stood with it. But... We need, and if you want someone to follow you, especially when you're young and you want to make a difference, watch how you act. The foolish talk that was going on in Ephesus, Paul says, don't, don't participate in it, Timothy. Don't get involved in that. There are too many important things. Don't do it. And then he says, in love, you know, let the love be the basis. I mean, what we do, uh, even if it's difficult, has to be rooted and grounded in love. It's the thing that makes us different, people. The love of Christ that's shed abroad in our heart. That is what makes this church different than everything else. Really, the agape love of God, the strong love of God that takes an offense and keeps loving, that forgives. What does a child do? Children are the most forgiving. Have you ever noticed that? They can get in a fight, pummel each other on the ground. (laughs) Then you go, okay, y'all settle down. Okay. You know, and then they're, they're off with each other, got their arms around each other. They're out playing and having a great time. I mean, they just forgive. They forgive. They have such a humility about them. And, uh, and so the love that, that is lacking in this church in Ephesus, Paul tells this young leader, look, you be motivated by this love. Don't forsake this love. Realize that when you speak and how you act has to be motivated to the love of Christ. And that's the very center of what and who we are. And faith, in faith, what had these people in Ephesus done? They had walked away from the faith. They had neglected their faith. And Paul's telling Timothy, you as an example, to not let people look down on you, to be the leader that you should be, keep your faith intact. Stay strong in there. Trust God. 
Because these others have wandered off and gone this way and gone that way. But you be an example to everyone of the faith that you have. That you started out. That your, your mom and your grandma. Remember how Timothy was raised? And all of that is inside of you, Timothy. So walk it out. Don't neglect that. Let your faith hold you firm in the midst of the gossiping and the failing. Uh, and the falling away of faith and this gossip and that. And you stay the course in your faith, in love, and how you talk and how you act. Stay the course. Stay the course. You know, much hinges on leadership, doesn't it? Matter of fact, almost everything hinges on it. In every area of life. The quality of life that we're going to live, the quality of our expression in the community as followers of Jesus, our community itself, all of it is, has to be led. It's... The way it is, if someone doesn't take the responsibility and doesn't feel the need to lead, then things just fragment pretty much. There has to be a focusing and there has to be responsible leadership. And the young are not exempt from being used like that. And then he says impurity. Remember that this situation in Ephesus, your next feel impurity. Uh, Ephesus in, the situation in Ephesus was one where the faith had been diluted, that it had been perverted in many ways. And And this is not just purity in their uh, moral behavior as far as their sex life and and all of that. But it's purity in their belief, purity in how they treat people. Stay pure, Timothy. You know, one of the things that is a sad loss in our lives is when we lose that sense of innocence in life, isn't it? I mean, when you have experienced loss and you have experienced betrayal and you have experienced things that let you down, we become jaded. And our, the purity of our, of our hearts and what we expect and what we anticipate that's good in this world suddenly becomes tainted and it's not pure any longer. Paul tells Timothy, he says, I don't want, you to, I don't want that to happen to you, Timothy. And you keep your heart pure before God. Keep your faith secure. Watch how you act. Watch how you speak. Keep your faith intact. And then in 1 Timothy 4.14, your next fill-in, we read, Do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your gift. Don't neglect the gift God has given you. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And I want to read a follow-up scripture to this. It's 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason, I remind you, again, to Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. What he's, we, this is a mystery of sorts, but um, and I don't know your tradition, your Christian tradition, your background. Um, we came from one where the laying on of hands, and especially even in prayer for what impartation of gifts, was very popular. Like, uh, I mean, I would chase down anybody that would pray for me, I'd run them down, pray for me. I remember there was a guy named Kent Henry, this worship leader who's so popular back in the 80s and all. And we were in Bradenton, Florida, another a guitar player and I. And we'd been down there all week with Ricky Skaggs and some other people and praying and, and studying and uh, about being worshipers and, and worship leaders. And uh, Kent's manager that managed uh, all of his stuff... Kent had already left. I'd played basketball with Kent, and he had blackened my eye, so I guess he did lay hands on me. Um, 
because uh, we were playing two-on-two basketball, and he drove to the net, and he was just as wild man as he is leading worship. He is playing basketball. He just drove straight in and elbowed me right in the eye, and uh, it was funny. And um, <laughs> so I guess I did get hands laid on me by Kent, but, but we chased Tom, his manager, down this friend of mine, Dennis, and I did. We drove down the interstate. We saw his car. Get him. And we drove down the interstate and pulled off to the side and said, Tom, Tom, would you lay hands on us? Would you lay hands on us and impart to us a a gift of worship so that we would have the desire to worship? Because Kent obviously has it. Would you give us that? Bishop Jesse Winley, one of the pastors that signed my ordination papers in 78, each time I saw the bishop... I was like, lay hands on me, Pastor Winley. Lay hands on me and impart to me that heart that you have for preaching the gospel in Harlem in the 60s and 70s. He feared nothing. And I said, give me that. I want that. I want that heart. Give it to me. And so somehow Timothy in some meeting with Paul or others at the time had been prayed for this way. Give people to pray for you. You know, don't neglect your gift. If you have this burning desire in you, you, you're like, I want to be a leader in this position and that position. God has called me here, there. Find someone who has done it and get them to pray for you. Get them to lay hands on you. I don't understand how this stuff exactly works, but I know it works. I know it does. And, uh, and I get people to pray for you. Lay hands on you. I, we were at a meeting uh, in years ago, and a pastor that we really respect, Rich Nathan, was preaching to a group of preachers, and he says, I want to I pray for you guys. And, and, man, I was the first one up. I got up and zipped down there first, and I won't forget, this has been probably 18 years ago or so, and he prayed, I pray you carry a bigger bat in your preaching. Amen. Never forget that. I pray your bat, you know. That you'll be able to swing away, Tim, with a bigger bat. And uh, get people to pray. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy's like, don't forget, people have prayed for you. People have imparted to you. People are for you. And so you get people to pray and, and to support. And then lastly, our next one is be diligent. Watch. Persevere in it, he tells Timothy. Don't give up. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your, I love this, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch how you behave and watch what you believe. You get this? Watch your life and doctrine. It matters what you believe. Because out of that belief comes your behavior. Your convictions what you will stand for, what you have to give away. And he tells Timothy, watch this. You know, be diligent, watch over it, persevere in it. And uh, here's my recommendations that, to finish this up this morning for those of you uh, young leaders. And the first one is this, find a mentor. Find someone that you can call, that you can talk with, that you can have pray for you, someone who is a few steps ahead of you. And whatever you're doing. Again, whether it's in your leadership in the church, whether it's in your leadership in business, if it's your leadership in the community, if it's your leadership, find someone whom you believe God is speaking through and is using and has used and ask them to help you. Ask them questions. Uh, reading through the Bible one year and I came 
across as I made my way through Exodus to Exodus 33:11. And for some reason I had just blown right past it all these years. This is just the last year that I noticed this. And in Exodus 33:11, uh, Moses and uh, probably Aaron and Joshua and all would go and pray together, right? And it says this though, notice, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Wow. His young aide was with him when he prayed. His young aide was with him when he sought God, when he listened to God. And Moses spoke face to face. Joshua was watching all of this, taking this in. So when Moses leaves, like my business with God right now is done, Joshua was like, oh, no, man, I've got to stay here. You know, I've got to stay here because I, I want this. And if you read, you know the whole story. Joshua imparted, I mean, Moses imparted that to Joshua as he took the children into the promised land. And, and, and so Joshua saw it. He was mentored by Moses in his prayer. He was mentored as he watched Moses how he led. And so much so that he knew his work wasn't done. He was young. And this was early on. This wasn't... This wasn't at the beginning of going into the promised land. Joshua sees that, and he doesn't leave. He stays there like, I'm going to get the most of this. Find a mentor. Find someone uh, that can be there for you that's maybe walked a few steps ahead of you. Find a mentor. You know, I drove one time for two years. I drove around to many people that I was praying and this has not been that long ago even in in an older age of people I still wanted to pray for me and to give me I went went all the way up to Little River I went down toward Myrtle's Inlet and I drove and I prayed and I would pull and I would go in and I talked to some that I hadn't talked to in 20 years people who had been there for me a long time ago just a sense of God wanted to do that again and wanted to pray. Seek someone out, you know. Find a mentor and whatever it is. Someone godly who is holding the faith and staying faithful to God. Has taken some bruises and knocks. And, and hang out. Kind of follow around, you know. And listen. And hang out with them. And uh, your second one here is in best practices for the young. Don't give up. Don't give up. I'll say this. Don't give up. Show up. Don't give up. Don't become lackadaisical. Don't become, you know, like bored with things. Show up. Don't give up. Persevere, Paul told Timothy. Uh, keep going. He told Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 1.3, he says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there. <laughs> stay there, Timothy. Don't you bail out. Stay there. You keep showing up and you keep doing what you can do. Don't give up. Don't let things knock you down and take you out of the race. Show up. Keep showing up. Stay there. I'll be I'll look in this. In just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate 20 years at this church. And there are people who have grown up in this church. I mean, there are people who were fresh out of college who are still here now. I've got their families, got their children. They have shown up Sunday after Sunday, week after week. They have served. They have not complained and they've been there, and, and God, I've just watched God do amazing things in their life. Show up. Don't give up. Hang in there, young person, young leader. And lastly, this is for me. Take advantage of every opportunity to grow. 
take advantage of every opportunity to grow. Early on, if you'll do that, you'll be the better for it. That is, if you're working somewhere and they offer you some training and leadership, take it. If you're like, this is the most boring thing in the world. I don't want to go do this. Go do it. Uh, in my 20s, when I worked for this company, they were forever sending me to leadership stuff. And I would be going like this most of the time, you know. It's like I'm kind of in the moment person, you know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. But then I started taking notes. And I started writing down. And, you know, you get certificate after certificate. Blah, blah, blah. But then 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, you wonder why you know what to do with this. And you realize, wow, you know what? All the way back when I went to that seminar, when I went to that training, take advantage of it. Whether it's in business or it's in church or, or wherever you are where God has called you, take advantage of your opportunities to grow. When someone offers you a responsibility, don't be shy. If they say, here, I want you to go do this, you go, I could never do that. Do it. If you fail, you'll learn. How about that? If you fail, you'll learn. And then like 10, 15 years later, you go, man, I really botched that one, but I learned this. You know, take advantage of your opportunities to grow. There's never been a time, I don't think, uh, at least in many, many, many decades, that we don't need good, solid leaders in every aspect of life. And I do believe God's church is the hotbed, the place where the leaders in all of our lives, as well as politics and government and business and the church life, and in every way they should be coming straight out of the church. But we pray and support for one another and we help one another. And so what I want to do this morning is we're going to take just a moment uh, to just kind of still ourselves. And then I want, if you consider yourself... A young leader. Uh, I want you to stand up, okay? So, Father, would you bring your Holy Spirit right now? You're the one that drafts us, calls us. Lord, gives us the gifts so that we can be a blessing to the world. But, Holy Spirit, would you stir your people even right now? Would you remind the younger folks among us, Lord, that you have your hand on them and you have plans for them. Would you stand right now, especially if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, and God, you believe God, yeah, look at this, look at this, stand, yeah, please, we want to pray for you, we want to pray, come Jesus, holy and mighty Lord, you who call, you who supplies the strength, the seed to the sower, Lord, it's you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's stay in an attitude of prayer, but as you, those of you with more experience and older who have been down this road, whether it's business, whether it's some community aspect or it's walking this faith out, ask the Lord to speak to you and give you a word for those that are standing around you. And go and pray for them. Lay hands on them and pray for them right now. Go. Do it, church. We've been doing this for three weeks now. Let's do it. Go. Go. Thank you, Jesus. That's right, prayer team. Just get on out there in the group. Go right now and pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. The rest of us, let's pray together. We're church. Let's pray together for our young leaders, our young friends. Pray. Maybe extend your hand that way and ask the Lord to give them grace and mercy and great wisdom. Come, Jesus.
sustain them. Some got, yeah, thank you, Al. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Al, you've got a whole world of experience. Pray. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.